0: Reports indicate that there is an upsurge in the number of women with opioid addiction. Among women with private insurance, over a quarter are using prescription painkillers, and of those on Medicaid, the number is almost up to 40%. The problem is multi-generational, with consumption habits that begin as early as the mid-teenage years and extend well into the elderly population. We know adverse effects associated with opioid use disproportionately affect women more than their male counterparts. Specifically, they are more likely to become dependent and to overdose unintentionally. You are listening to REACH MD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Joining me today is Dr. Regan Tyler. Dr. Tyler serves as Division Director for General Obstetrics and Gynecology and is the Director of the Ryan Residency Training Program at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Today, we will be discussing the use of opioids in the female patient population. Dr. Tyler, welcome to REACH MD. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell me, in what ways has the epidemic affected the pregnant patient and and their infants as well?
1: You know, I I think the consequences are particularly severe for pregnant women and for infants and we we face challenges every day as people who provide care for pregnant women and just educating them about the consequences for their infants in in the form of neonatal abstinence syndrome and the, essentially the withdrawal from narcotics when babies are born, but also the, the ongoing cycle of addiction and withdrawal that can occur in utero and have adverse effects on the baby.
0: So what do we know about providing prenatal care for these opioid-dependent women?
1: Well, we know... You know it's an it's an ongoing area of study. You know we're all sort of doing the best we can and gathering evidence as we go. But what we do know is that getting them into an addiction treatment program and getting them on medication assisted therapy with buprenorphine or methadone instead of on street medications or street drugs is associated with better outcomes for the neonates. So if we can identify patients who are using these substances earlier in their pregnancy, we can get them to accept help, we can get them into a treatment program, then we know that the outcomes are better for their babies and that they have a better chance of turning their lives around and keeping their babies. But a particular challenge that we have is is making the identification of their use non-punitive. And a, a lot of legislatures have said, well, let's identify women who are using and then punish them for abusing their babies or abusing their fetuses and there are good intentions in all of these these efforts to identify women who are using narcotics in pregnancy and to try to protect infants but the problem is that when we screen women inappropriately with biochemical testing that has large false positive rates And when we identify them in in ways that we aren't asking them permission, we aren't engaging them appropriately, then we can wind up alienating them so that they don't seek out care appropriately and word gets out in the community that, hey, if you go to the hospital, they're going to test your urine and take your baby. So then they don't come in for care and then we start having worse outcomes. So it's a very delicate balance to take care of these patients appropriately so that we get the best outcomes.
0: How easy is it for us to find appropriate care for these patients when they're pregnant?
1: It's really challenging. So some of the, the addiction treatment programs have been known to say, oh, once you get pregnant, we don't want to treat you anymore. That's too risky for us. And so what's happened in the Northeast, I can speak to you, is that many obstetric providers have sort of been forced to become ad hoc addiction treatment providers just out, out of necessity because we have the patients and we don't have anyone to treat them. It's getting better, I think, as people become more aware and we study the safety of buprenorphine and methadone in pregnancy and we get some data about improved perinatal outcomes when we get these patients into treatment. Uh, but the the tools have been few and far between for the past several years as this epidemic has been ongoing.
0: Are there specific challenges that we're looking at in the intrapartum period when we're considering not only mom's health, but also the fetal health?
1: Sure. You know, there, there are some medications that, that if you have a patient that's on a narcotic, either an illicit narcotic or a medication for therapy like methadone or buprenorphine, some of the partial agonists, that you would give for pain, like Nubain, may actually precipitate an acute withdrawal event in your pregnant patients. So you have to be very cautious about what you give them for pain control interpartum. Having said that, they often are hyperalgesic, so they require more medication management for their acute pain interpartum. So we to be in, in the practice of getting them early anesthesia consults, getting them epidurals, but it's all the more reason to screen your patients aggressively with you know, behavioral screening and self-reported screening to know what they're taking so that you can safely treat their pain intrapartum and effectively treat their pain intrapartum.
0: And in the postpartum period, are we looking at the same kind of challenges and what do we do about discharging these patients home with pain medicine?
1: The postpartum period is really tough. You know, the the dosage of the medications that they take for their maintenance therapy tend to go up significantly during pregnancy, and so then they have to be actively managed in the immediate postpartum period, as their doses may go down quite a bit. Well, at the same time, we're, we're managing keeping their baby in the hospital, oftentimes for four or five days, for neonatal abstinence syndrome scoring. Sometimes patients are aware that that's going to happen, and sometimes they're not aware that that's going to happen to them. It's a big cost for hospitals to put these neonates in the nursery and then figure out where they're going to put a mother who's otherwise healthy and ready to go home. So, you know, do the patients stay in the hospital even though they're ready to be discharged because the baby has this abstinence scoring going on? Those are some tricky challenges that we have in the postpartum period. And then if you've had to do a C-section delivery, you're managing narcotics on top of, you know, the residual of, of a spinal or epidural anesthesia. So getting your pain control teams involved early and often is really helpful with those women.
0: And from the more social aspect, once these patients are ready to go home, are their babies being discharged home with them?
1: That's highly variable, and even state-to-state, you have to know what the laws are in your state for reporting. So I, I practice on the border of Vermont and New Hampshire, and the the laws for disclosure and reporting to the states are different for Vermont than they are for New Hampshire. So the the social service involvement can be mandatory or it can be really optional, depending what your state laws are. And whether you have a biochemical test, a urine drug test, or a serum drug test, or a meconium test that is positive on your mother-infant pair, or whether you just have a report of use during pregnancy, what I do tell my patients is that it always looks better for them in the eyes of social services and in the eyes of the courts if they're in a stable treatment program.
0: If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Reach MD, and I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Joining me today is Dr. Regan Tyler. Dr. Tyler serves as Division Director for General Obstetrics and Gynecology and is also the Director of the Ryan Residency Training Program at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Today, we are discussing the use of opioids in the female patient population. So we talked about the pregnant patient, and that's you know, specifically a patient population that gets a lot of attention. Pregnant patients are important. But what about the opioid-addicted GYN patient? How are they different, and how do we manage them?
1: I think we have some of the, the same issues around procedural pain, especially in a family planning setting. So these patients are ideal candidates often for LARC contraceptive methods, but maybe the patients who are not particularly tolerant of office procedures because of the hyperalgesia that comes along with with the narcotic dependence. So that can be particularly challenging. They also can have problems with intravenous access and laboratory values. So if they're having heavy menstrual bleeding and they're particularly dehydrated and have a history of IV drug abuse, you may have real problems getting laboratory testing on them, and you have to be aware of the high prevalence of hepatitis C and the recommendation to test them, even at a younger age than you otherwise would screen patients.
0: A lot of times these GYN procedures are not going to be emergency procedures. They're going to be elective. Do you ever consider delaying procedures so that we can get patients into addiction care?
1: Sure. I mean, you, you don't want to do something urgently that you can put off until somebody is stable on a medication-assisted therapy program. Um, the, the thing that concerns me the most would be contraception because unintended pregnancy is really common in this population and compliance with any sort of non-LARC growth control method is low. On the other hand, we have to worry about reproductive coercion so you, you don't want to be forcing them to undergo a procedure they don't want to do in the office so you can offer them you know, pain control in advance. You can offer them local pain control like paracervical blocks, or you can offer to do things under sedation or anesthesia. Again, consult with your anesthesia colleagues pretty aggressively in patients who are using opioids.
0: Much of the focus around opioids kind of focuses on abuse, addiction, and accidental death. But are there any complications that are associated with kind of the short and long-term use of opioids that we should consider?
1: Um, I think the things that we see most frequently and and that people across the country are probably familiar with would be the opioid-associated constipation that is really profound and can get worse in pregnancy, but is also a big problem in gynecology patients and can be very difficult to treat. So our gastroenterology colleagues can be helpful in that situation, especially if someone gets stable on a medication-assisted therapy program. And the other the other things to think about would be the high prevalence of hepatitis C and HIV in these populations, especially depending on your particular demographic and where you are in the country.
0: So we are nearing the end of our time together. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with us?
1: You know, I, I'm optimistic with the Comprehensive Addiction Reform Act that was just passed last week before Congress went on vacation that the president will sign that... We have an acknowledgement at the federal level of the scale of the epidemic that we as healthcare providers have been facing for the last few years, and an acknowledgement in the form of funding for research and treatment. So, you know, maybe we will be turning things around soon here. I'm, I'm hoping that we've seen the, the peak of our epidemic curve. So that's my my optimism. And I guess one other thing that I forgot to mention in the unintended consequences or the other medical consequences would be with patients on methadone, you do have to watch their, their QT interval because they can have a long QT syndrome. And if you give them things like Zofran or the other anti you can really precipitate some severe cardiac arrhythmias. And that's something that probably as OBGYNs we're not all that familiar with and can take us by surprise especially on labor and delivery, and become a real emergent situation.
0: Dr. Tyler, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. And to download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry, and you've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.